Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 82, which means that it is the final in our 10-part sound series um, where I talk to writers and artists about their work in relation to sounds they have chosen. Um, so yeah, I guess the first thing I want to do is again thank Creative New Zealand, Toi Aotearoa for the funding to make this series. I also want to thank everybody um, who has generously given their time um, to talk to me. It's been awesome. And um, yeah, I want to thank Brent McIntyre for the music and um, yeah, James Woods who helped me out with the sound. So thank you everybody. I really appreciate it. Um, this is such a wonderful way to end. Um, in this episode, we're going to hear responses from Sutta Rao um, to some of the exercises. Um, I also talked to Sutta about sound and her writing and I'm very grateful to her for letting us play some of her work. Um, yeah, so it's this wonderful showcase of um, work that has been created in response to some of the exercises um, but also um, I was really grateful for the opportunity to um, speak to Sutta um, um, because she is an artist whose work I have enjoyed for a while so yeah it was fantastic to talk to her so um, yeah uh, this is the end of the sound series but obviously it's not the end of the podcast um, the next episode will be a recording of a talk I did recently with um, Branavan Nangalingam and um, Kirsten McDougall at Unity Books in Wellington so that should be up in a week or so um, and then we're back to normal and what I've really found useful in this is um, yeah getting into a bit more of a rhythm so what I'm hoping is that we'll have an episode every fortnight from now on wouldn't that be great but yeah thank you so much for listening and um, this episode starts with um, a poem um, from Suta and you'll hear her speaking and um, yeah it was so great when she sends in um, the responses they always start with hi Pip and it makes me feel really nice so yeah thank you all so much and I hope you enjoy this episode thanks heaps Hi Pip, this is Sudha Rao. Here's a recording of my poem, Polymorph Me, in response to Carl Schuker's choice of the song Work by Lou Reed and John Cale. Please note, it contains inspiration and words from some of my favourite poets. For example, John Donne, the first line is from his poem. Caleb Ray Candre Lee, Yehuda Amichai, Pablo Neruda, W.S. Mervyn, Evan Boland, Wallace Stevens and Carl Phillips. Polymorph Me 1. The busy old fool, the sun, keeps lifting me. There is a strange dent in me. I'm looking for a simple start, simple beginnings to unravel knots in my head. When silence splinters to a collage, I pick ordinariness while your hands tear my years. A memory of you, am I, bold enough to begin a shapeshift? But your hands, too young, scream. The word, a track, a wander into wilderness. 
then you let me fall. Two. Fallen, I am the center of a camellia exposed. My petals weep remembering the crush. I am that butterfly fleeing, fighting to skim your space. Bright wings, too much life. My exit is an entrance to somewhere else and your keys strike my existence. But wait, watch me, blue-black and wattled, suck the kawaii, my feathers stilled by a rocking branch. I am turmeric light through tall trees, while the wind plunders, the canopy toils to shake me up. Then I dream. Three. Dreaming of where you are taking me, of the light in September, what you are trying to say, how hard it is to be sweet enough, how this far in it is the breath, its whirlwind is danger. With that air, how hard it is to be quiet. Keeping quiet is not a language. It is a separation from a country, from a summer's night. Can I ever be certain that your voice and downcast eyes are open to rejection? That strange dent is a radiation layer bent to change my morphology. Then magnetize me. Thank you so much um, for agreeing to have a chat with me today. I'm very grateful about that. And I wondered if we could just start um, by you perhaps introducing yourself. Like, um, how would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> well, thank you, first of all, for asking me for this interview, Pip. It's, it's, a, it's a great pleasure and honor to, to be part of this process um, that you've started. I really enjoyed doing these sessions. Um, and in fact, that first question is a really hard one for me to answer. It's a really interesting question because, um, first of all, I come from a culture where we don't talk about ourselves. So introducing ourselves is all about, mostly about, you know, so uh, one begins by asking questions like, who are you? You know, where did you come from? Where are you going? What have you achieved, if anything? Um, you know, who's nurtured you? So um, I always find that introduction thing hard. But anyway, in the context of our conversation, which is about writing poetry, um, I would probably want to say about myself that I am a very proud um, um, New Zealand poet of South Asian descent. And I've come from my, I have had a long sort of standing of uh, in the arts and a passion for the arts, mainly as a dancer. I began dancing at the age of six in India and, and, um, so music, uh, rhythm, sound, um, uh, and and words, because most of our classical dance actually is, is around um, uh, uh, compositions that have got libretto to it. So it's actually very rich it's in, in all the different languages. So I learned to dance in, to Sanskrit, to Telugu, to Tamil, to Kannada, all different languages, and they all have their own musicality and all their own rhythms and intonations. So, um, so for me, I, I bring, for me, that is kind of what I'm trying to bring into my writing. Um, so I, I'm a New Zealander, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a partner, I'm a wife. Um, I've got two lovely sons and my mother who's 91 is still around with me and she keeps me in tow. Um, so yeah, so that's who I am. 
I so love this idea of talking about who's nurtured us and how we are in our communities when we introduce ourselves. I really, really like that. Um, I Right from the minute I met you, I associated your work with sound. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to see you um, perform and I've been lucky enough to read your work on the page. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit from your point of view about how sound sort of manifests in your work or maybe the connection between your poetry and sound? Yeah, it's, um, I guess, the origin of sound, I think. I mean, I think that sound is something we all carry, you know. Our body makes sounds that we don't hear. And I think writers, and in, and, and I can only speak in terms of a, from a poet's perspective because I don't write any other, well, I'm beginning to write other forms, but is that you're very conscious of sound as when you put um, words on the page. I mean, you know, one is even conscious of sound your pencil makes on the paper. But for me, the concept of sound began, I think, when I was in my mother's womb. My mother's a classically trained musician. Uh, and I came from a background where the classical arts was a very important part of our, um, our, our upbringing. So, uh, and I said to you, I learned classical dance. You know, there was sound was a very important part of, of life to begin with. And in India, you are bombarded with sound, you know, and, and it's, and um, so it's, your ear is constantly, um, um, the antenna in your ear is constantly moving to either push sound out or take sound and depending on, you know, what's happening. But more than that, in terms of language, the beauty of that country for me as a youngster was that, um, I, I heard lots of different languages. My father was a doctor and we lived in a, a medical campus and which was, had lots of different part, people from different parts of India um, over there. So I, from a very young age, um, uh, I learned to be able to speak um, English and Kannada and Tamil uh, because I had to, and then later Hindi and French because I lived in Pondicherry. But more than that, I also um, heard Bengali, I heard Telugu, I had Malayalam, I had Gujarati, I had Hindi. So every one of these speakers, um, their languages have their own tonality and their own rhythm, and their own musicality. So um, I think all Indians, regardless of, you know, I, I, if someone speaks English, I can not, an Indian speaks English, I can say almost 95% accurately which part of India they come from because of the way they use English, how they pronounce the words, you know. So it's fascinating. So for me, sound has become, has, has been always been an integral part of, of, of speech or making sense. Um, and dance has took it to another level because that, you know, there's a sense of rhythm. You're very conscious of rhythm and anything, I mean, our form of dance is, is um, the way we use rhythm is quite complicated we not only just have the basic beat we have all those kind of um, um, uh, tempos we not only tempos we're also within the beats they get divided up into all these numbers so very conscious of how the rhythm works as well so and i guess for me um now that i'm writing poetry I'm, I'm so thankful for you for saying sound is important because it is important and I love words and I love making the words, I like pushing the words as as much as I can to make the sound happen um, and sometimes I think I push it too far and in fact I came across as a poet called Susan Ho, H-O-W-E, the American poet. Um, I came across her and 
you know, at one time I wrote very kind of what called staccato type poems. And I just so I came across it the other day, about two or three months ago. And I thought, there's someone who writes who, you know, who who is exploring language like I do, because sometimes my poems become quite abstract because I'm pushing the language. So um, I know I'm going all over the place over here, but but, but it's kind of interesting for me uh, how I have to, in, in a way, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a bonus and and not a bonus because when I write, I really have to be very disciplined about what it is I want to hear and where I want it to be silent. And I guess that is, that's gonna, I'm gonna take it to my dying day because it's such a hard thing to do. And I'll never, you know, never master it, but that's what I'm trying to do in my writing. And I think that this is another thing I often um, think about, like, I love this idea of like, um, when we make noise and when we stay silent. And I was just thinking about how wonderful dance is in that way that, it's a response to music, but it also makes noises itself, doesn't it? You know, like um, when our bodies move in space, they um, they mm. make noise. And mm. I just wonder that sort of response and making noise into the world. I just wonder around what, I guess what I'm asking is how dance and you've talked a lot about it, but just this idea of dance influencing or going with poetry. I mean, there was one, I saw you perform once and it was just the most, it was very sort of life-changing for me, <laughs> this idea of mixing movement and poetry in a way that I hadn't come across before. Could you talk a little bit about that maybe? Well, I think, is are you talking about when we did the IML um a performance yeah 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 well actually that year was an interesting fabulous year for me because I I, I, I really wanted to push myself and um, uh, that was a total experiment and I don't think anyone has tried doing what I did you know I mean I've not come across anyone who, who writes poetry they're dancers Tishani Doshi is a, is a dancer by trade and she writes fab, fabulous stuff but I wanted to push that into my body because my body was, when you, when, I, when you write, and I'm sure you'll understand, your body's actually writing with you, you know, it's not just your mind, your whole sense is over there. So for me as a dancer, I, I, it just occurred to me that that's how I should be trialing my writing. So, um, and it was very interesting because I actually um, uh, wrote a, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like writing music. You know, you, I wrote it in bars and had all of these, these, these rhythmic sounds over there. And then I wrote poetry to it. And I found that it was quite, quite difficult to, to, to get it to work together. And one or two worked better than the others, but that's okay. But it's, it's, I was compelled to do it, is all I can say. And my body wanted to, to, use these words to make the movement as well. So when I wrote it down, um, so when I did, when I, I think one of the things was, uh, I forget now, one was called Didete, and, um, and, and, I, I, and all I could think was let it fall, let it fall. And I think I was, I was watching, I was watching the, um, the wind actually, and the leaves are being thrown out of, you know, and I fall, let them fall. And that was what sort of got me thinking about that's, first of all, the word, the concept of didete, the drum syllables came to mind because I saw them go didete, falling down. And so that became the start of my poem. And that became, 
you know, what it, then, it, then I took it to a point where it took me to a river and pebble stones because I began to hear those kinds of sounds. Um, it was an exciting, exciting thing for me to do. And, and Chris, I think, sort of commented that she didn't, you know, hadn't seen that before. And I was like, yes, I've done something different, you know. But not because of, of anything other than that was a year for me to test myself. I was testing myself on so many levels. Um, and it was, I was so thankful that I came across it. But I put it aside thinking, mm, until this, you gave me the opportunity with Branavans, you know. So when I heard it, heard the sound, um, and it was really interesting because those of us of South Asian descent, when we hear the monsoon rain, something happens. It stirs us in ways that, um, I don't know, the equivalent of that would probably be over here um, in the Northern Hemisphere, seeing autumn leaves perhaps, or, you know, the autumn and, and in, in, in um, um, over here in, in New Zealand, the, the thing that would stir me, that stirs me every time is when I see a maunga and I see the Taranaki um, and I see, you know, it uncapped and I, every time I go there, I wait for the cloud, I want the clouds to move and I want to see it move. It's, it's the same thing. Um, so, when you when I heard the monsoon rain, I I went straight into the rhythmic sequence because I heard the dripping of the water, and you know I there was no there was no rhythm or pattern to it, but I and I wanted to make a pattern out of no pattern, um, because life is that you know we all want to make pattern, um, so that's that's what got me into it, and of course I, it was like a. Um, a moth to a flame, that, that sound. Kyura, I'm Sudha Rao, and this is my response to Branavan Nyanalingam's choice of sound, Rain on Tin Roof. The poem is called A Sleeping Stone. Ta, ta, kita ta, kita jum, kita jum, ta jum, tarum. When you break, the tui flies. Yellow funnels drop between glass beads. She is falling into her river. From the balcony of beauty, her throat, an isthmus between shadow and a painting. Tajum, Tarum. A deluge of voices, glassy shards, bridge her questions, pouring on and on. Her feet shape a water canvas. Tarakitajum, Ta, Ta, Kita. She is a stone sleeping under a never-ending performance. Jum. I took his sound to the rip, you know. I could, um, and I, I love the way he talked about what he did, and I couldn't help but just go straight into that. Um, so. Your sound sessions have been fascinating for me because it's just thrown me into being having a visceral reaction 
two things. Kira, this is Sudha. I'm going to read a poem called Termites, and it is in response to Tokarao's choice of the sound of paper being ripped. Rip. Zip. Rip and zip. Rip my bark. Zip the heart. Hear the termites march. Fear a termites smite. Oh, I was just thinking, I, I really relate to that. Like, um, that's what I so love about your responses is that there's such an interesting mix of using sound, um, you know, using words almost non-verbally, like detaching them from their meaning. But then there's also, in, in the longer pieces, sort of the ones in response to Carl and Simon's songs, you know, there's there's also this thing where there is, you know, it is using language syntactically as well, you know, like for meaning possibly. And I just, that, that concept that sound can be um, separated from meaning. Am I on the right track there? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think, I think, I think, I don't know what you're trying to say, but I do kind of, intuitively understand where I think you're driving at, which is sound in itself, probably there is no no meaning, like the wind has no meaning. But I don't know whether you've been listening to the wind in the last couple of nights, you know, and um, I've heard it in all these different different moods that's come, come at me, you know. So I think, I think, I, uh, I think we all like to give meaning to everything we see or hear. And sometimes none of it is intended. So, um, and it's it's like, and I think writing is about giving meaning to something. You know, we want to communicate something to someone. And it's like your writing, Pep, which I really enjoy the way you use language as well. And oftentimes, uh, you know, you say you, you know I read something, and I've got to read it a couple of times because I sort of think ah. You know, she's saying something else over here, you know. So the sound of those words, if you, if you re-read them or re-hear them, gives you different meaning. And I think, I think it comes back to the simple thing of you know, asking the question, what is our purpose on life? Which, of course, is a whole big, big question, I know. But really, I like to bring it down to when I'm putting words on paper, what is the purpose of this, you know. And sometimes um, I'm not sure that I've actually succeeded in making any purpose. And sometimes I think it's okay, you know, it's okay. It, these words, if they were to hang together, they will hang together. And if you want to, you know, otherwise not. But I think it's a bit, a bit about no meaning and making meaning and no pattern and making pattern and and the one thing that really surprises me is why we need to make order out of life. You know, we always want to make order out of life, even though we like to think that we can be disorderly, but don't think we are good at that, really. <laughs> I, I keep, you blew my mind a little bit with that metaphor of the rain and trying to find pattern where there is no pattern in sound. And I think that sound is one of those things that really does that for me, you know, where, um, you know, in the, in the head does, I was, 
I was listening to a thing the other day that had about these sound experiments and um, they played them and they mean nothing when you first hear them, but suddenly the brain starts picking out individual words and then mm. all of a sudden it feels like someone's whispering behind you. And, you know, like it's just, I just think it is really interesting and just you saying that that idea of trying to find meaning in life like I it's never occurred to me that maybe that's neurologically wired you know I've always thought that it was some kind of psychological um sort of spiritual kind of thing but you know it may well be that neurologically we want to make patterns and we want to make you know and I just find that I, I find that extremely interesting and uh, it's funny uh Funny you make that point. Yeah, that's a really good point because I was watching um, something on television by Simon Shawat called Civilizations. I don't know if they've come across that. There was the first episode talks about, you know, the, the handprint and the, the and it, that also, like you said, blew my mind thinking what made, you know, what made that's making meaning out of, out of themselves, you know, but they were leading this life and somehow they needed to, um, make themselves present and be. Uh, and, and I think you're right. There's something really totally innate in us. And this is probably why we do things like dance, write, write music, write poetry, write novels, you know, essays, whatever. It's like we want to somehow explore that very uh, um, prime, primeval sense of being, I think, you know. It's really, and I was just thinking with that in mind, like this idea, you know, for me, I always think about mark making, mm. but it occurs to me, like I say, I keep going back to that performance at Taipapa that day and like just that I now hold that in me, but it may have changed over the time and that sort of thing. And I'm just wondering, what's your perfect forum for your work? Like, do you prefer it on the page? Does it become a different thing when it's read? Um, you know, is it? Are you happier when it's performed? I mean, like, like for me, it feels like it lives in all these different ways. Like, I love the way you've sent, like, you've sent um, copies of the poems that you've read, and you know, like, they just the two things make this bigger thing. But I just wondered, do you have thoughts about? you know, if you could have any way of doing something, because I feel like we are quite bound in books in a way, like we often think of that mark making, but yeah, have you got any thoughts on that? It's really lovely to hear you make those comments, but I'm, I'm really genuinely uh, humbled by it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I would love to see a collection of poems on paper. There's something about that that makes me, I've just completed a manuscript that I'm trying to get published and I would love to see them on paper because I think there's some some poems that are meant to be just written down and read. Um, uh, and, and I think the voice of the reader and the voice of the poet um, are really important And I, because I enjoy reading works on paper and there's something about the paper that, um, I, I don't know, there's, there's something very romantic about the paper. But, you know, interestingly enough, uh, you have given me the opportunity and very, very um, luckily, um, I've been asked to be part of the show ponies um, thing, where I'm actually going to perform this rain poem. So I'm pleased that you're putting it out before. I was going to ask you whether I can do it before. We were, I don't know when you were going to putting it out, but I'm going to be doing this this one that, I've, that you're going to, to put out. 
uh, in sound version, and I'm going to choreograph to it, um, to this thing too. So um, I think I think I've just found that I can I want to write in those ways as well, but it'll have to be uh, quite specific, and it'll have to be I'll be I'll I'll, I'll be very possessive about which of those poems are going to be um, dance forms and which are going to be just on paper. I mean, I've got a whole suite of poems that I wrote, um, again, for their master's thesis, which can actually be on its own. They're actually dance poems. They're very much based on the classical dance form, but I've written it in a, um, obviously in the modern context. And I, I would like to, you know, I want to get them separately published, but I actually want to make dance to it. Um, and um, um, I don't know, I mean, I'm getting older and older by the day, but I actually want this to be danced by mature dancers as well, because this is about, yeah. So, so yes, I'm beginning to move into that, but it's, it wasn't a conscious decision, but I'm, I, I'm just, and I, I'm, I just think that if, I'm a great believer that if something's gotta happen, it will happen. So I am so thankful to you for giving me the opportunity to do this stuff because and you know that happened it was just pure chance that it came across your, your your connection too it was just pure chance and i just it just i just grabbed it and i did all that work in one afternoon you know it just kind of just happened as well it's just so good and like i just i totally agree with what you're saying i feel like if we I don't know. Sorry, I'm about to go. But I just feel like sometimes if we walk through the world in an open way, you know, we're, we're available for these things that can come out of the blue. Mm. And like, you know, there's that sense that maybe the art is using me rather than, you know, me making the art sometimes. That, that is, that is so, such a lovely thing, such a lovely thought, Pat, because I, 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 I come from an old, style learning of the arts where we do actually subjugate ourselves to the arts you know that is the uh, you know you you are nothing but a tiny speck of something who happened to be on this you know so i truly believe in it which sounds like a um you know i don't know a, a silly thing to say probably in the modern world but for me the process of doing dance of thinking of my all of my people who made me, me, you know, I'm thinking of the writers, like when I was writing, I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, Pip's going to read it. And, you know, I want it to be something that she is moved by it kind of a thing, not because of me, but more in terms of the fact that I've written something down, you know? So um, for me, it's a writing um, is, 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 is not a vocation. It's not, I don't know what it is, but it's just something that I just kind of have to do, you know? And I, and I love being in that spot when I can, even if I'm writing rubbish and most, much of my stuff is rubbish, you know, 99% of it is rubbish and I'm lucky if something comes through. Um, but I love, love the process. Me too. Like, yeah, I just, I, I totally agree. Like I just, and that idea of feeling that sense of, yeah, the, the, yeah, that, that, because I think that for a while and especially in a Western context, it's been an idea of, um, you know, the single writer by themselves and and you know i think my experience is quite different with that in mind i was wondering um in the introduction to polymorph me you um talk about a few writers that mm. um inspire or you know that you're interested in and i wonder would you 
would you mind naming a few of those? Like, there will be people out there that love your work and then would be interested in, you know, like what, um, you know, where, where your sort of, um, I always think of it like fuck papa, but you know, like where your, um, mm. you know, where your inspiration comes from. Mm. Um, well, look, I just made a list of it and I'll show you, I don't know whether you can see it, but can you see this? That is a huge list. That's I might have to take a photo of that I mean, and show thank people. Thank you my writing. My writing is terrible. Um, but, you know, because I, I, was, I was born in India and studied in India before I came here, much of my poetry uh, was actually very British. So, you know, so I'll start from that. My, my you know, the Keats, the Shelleys, Shakespeare, um, you know, John Don, as I think I mentioned, because I actually used his words. That's such a brilliant line. I couldn't do it. Um, and then, of course, um, uh, the American poets, W.S. Merwin, Wallace Stevens, you know, uh, Robert Haas, um, uh, uh, Hugh Langston, Seamus Haney, Les Murray, Gary Snyder, um, Jory Graham, Chen Chen, Ocean Vyong, Li Yang Li, Atsuro Riley, whom Chris Price, uh, and, and these, all of these people, so I'll come back to them, I'll just name them, Audrey Lord, Rita Dove, Adrian Rich, E.E. Um, uh, e. Cummings, Emily Dickinson, Sylvia Plath, um, golly, uh, uh, New Zealand writers. I love the, my first introduction where I actually fell in love with New Zealand writing was Ruth Dallas and I was in Dunedin. Um, and so Ruth Dallas, Brian Turner, uh, uh, Bill Manhire, Jenny Bornhold, Greg O'Brien, Andrew Johnston. Um, uh, uh, who else have I got over here? Ezra Pound, Dinah Hawken, um, uh, Susan Ho, Anne Carson. I love Anne Carson. Um, and May, uh, Maeve McGuigan, who is an Irish writer, and Doreen Nagrifa, who came over here, love her too, uh, and um, uh, Wisława Simborska, that amazing um, Polish poet, who absolutely adore her writing. Uh, then I come across these Ali Smith, now, and Nadine Godemar. I mean, uh, Ali Smith uses language and sound beautifully, you know. She just mesmerizes me when I read her. I've got to take a breath after I've read about two pages because I'm just sort of hyperventilating with the beauty of her language. Such a clever writer. And Nadine Godima, um also, should, I've been thinking about her because of, I've been thinking about writing about, um, um, I'm writing an essay. I want to write an essay about something and sort of you know, around that. And, and I've come across these amazing South Asian writers who are American mainly, uh, Rajiv Mohabir, Amit Mujantar, Kiran Kapoor. They're all American South Asian writers. Um, so that's just a part of, you know, I think I mentioned all the ones that I really wanted to. I just looked at my list of poets over here. So I've just chosen them all, the ones that sort of live with me. I've got Billy Collins over there as well, Kate Camp. Um, so yeah, you know, whole range of people um, and I, and when I can't write or haven't, think I can't write, I just pull one of the books out and read something and, you know, it just kind of gets me on to, on to writing something. So that's, and what I haven't said is the most important thing about for me is that my own classical music, our own Vedic chants, because I come from a, a Brahmanic background. So apart from the music, we also had lots of Vedic chanting happening. So which is all, all the Vedic chants are all written in couplets. 
and they have actually got this actually thing called Vedic meter, which I came across, which I'm trying to write in, and it's bloody difficult. Um, um, so for me, those things are all kind of innate in me. So when I read, and I'm also read, I like reading poets whose language um, is different to English. It's not written in English. So which is why I love the Irish writers, because I hear something else different. Um, I love anyone who writes um, Pablo Neruda, you know, people who write uh, is another, another person that I uh, love reading. People whose language is not English, but who's, because I want to hear, because I'm, I'm that's what I'm, my, although English is not my native language, has been, because I've been speaking it since I was, you know, when I could speak, I still hear different sounds. So, and I'm also very interested in people, I mean, we are always the other, but I'm always interested in people who are, who are, are different because of the color or their, or their, um, and I, there are two words that I do not like using is race and ethnicity, because I don't believe in race. And the concept of ethnicity is, is, is whose perspective is ethnic. And I find that a very difficult question. So I'm always interested in people who have had to be the other for other reasons other than just being the other because they're talented or whatever, you know. Um, so you'll find that my, my, there's a lot of commonality in, in but um, I'm always seeking people who will, Ask me to think twice about who I am, you know, and why I want to write. Um, so that's just a list for you. <laughs> I love that list so much. It was funny because I just, um, I think that's another thing that I always think about when I think about you is that, yeah, like I think you and I have a similar way. My process is a lot about reading and writing you know what I mean yeah. like I, I feel like it's like a river and yeah. if there's not new stuff flowing in then you know, like there's not new stuff yeah. flowing yeah and yeah I just love it thank you so much I really oh, wow. appreciate it and um yeah you're awesome and yeah oh, thanks heaps thank you Pip <laughs> fabulous fabulous talking with you kia ora Pip this is Sudhar Rao and here is my response to Simon Sweetman's choice of music whisper by Schnell Fenster. The poem is called Woman, Accidental Influencer. It is a found poem in seven parts in monologue form based on an article in the Dom Post Weekend magazine by Angela Barnett about seven young New Zealand women. Woman, Accidental Influencer. One, I broke my neck to break down stigma. People see me in public, not as a social media influencer. I expose. Jokes. My relationship with my body. It's something that's used by me, something I maintain. Skinniest legs, biggest beer belly. You can learn things from what happened to me. Accidental influencer doesn't care. Two. I never pictured myself talking robotics. Coolest mechatronics engineer doing STEM wasn't about genius. Stereotypes. I invented a friend to smash the imposter syndrome. Anxiety constantly realized me. I became the opportunity tech girl for 3D weirdness. Printing earrings, chocolate molecules, Swiss cheese. Three. Wicked portrait. Arresting images, sometimes model, 
young, queer, looks like I demand the hard way. I keep bedbound photographs of Margaret Atwood. I ease up my camera and portray responsibility. Draining naturally, I develop a patient young woman, gender non-conforming, in hospital. Four. I'm on your side, a spot in the band being listened to, not bogged down by unheard tradition. They are doers, makers, shakers, change creators, not wanting youth, radical social entrepreneurs waiting to become community leaders or stigma-breaking artists. Five. About power, electricity, significant portion profits, combating period poverty, and no extra cost for male domination. I know her energy is waiting, a power plant for driving the force of attention. 6. If anyone needs our planet, I'm your soapbox. Local police warned me about using social media to reason and care and campaign. I'm humbled by door knocking, by the young and powerful. But where is the beautiful one with new ideas, perspectives and infectious wonder? 7. Witness my cookbook. A prophet from an overthinking nature. Your contributions to a spoonful of spice strangely pushed me to find out self-doubt.